Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Circos Podcast. We are back again today with another episode, a little bit more of a music focus on this episode today. And without further ado, I will let our guest introduce himself. Take it away. Hi, everyone. My name is Panagiotis League. Um, I am a musician, a musicologist, so basically an anthropologist of music and dance. And I, in particular, I focus in terms of my research and also my artistic activity on largely on traditional Greek music, dance and poetry, particularly of the Aegean islands and particularly, particularly the island of Kalimnos, um, as well as the western part of the island of Crete. And I'm, I'm a professor of ethnomusicology at Florida State University in Tallahassee, Florida. And I also am the director of the Center for Music of the Americas at FSU. And do I have any other cool sounding titles? Let me <laughs> I'm also associate associate for folkloric and musicology studies at the Center for Hellenic Studies in Washington, D.C., which is run by Harvard University. Very awesome. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, that's an impressive, uh, impressive resume there. So I guess the first question I have, um, I mean, I've certainly heard your name quite a bit, um, in terms of music. Um, I know people who've studied with you and just, uh, you know, I've heard amazing things, but I don't fully know your story and I'm sure there's other people that don't know your story. So, um, I'd love to hear a little bit about how you got into music, what inspired you, when did you start, and how did it evolve into what you do today? Because it's that's a that's a pretty big progression. <laughs> <laughs> sure, absolutely. Uh, well, I spent a lot of my childhood in Tarpon Springs, Florida, which uh, for those of, for those for for those of you listening who don't know, Tarpon Springs is a small town on the Gulf Coast of Florida, about in the middle of the state a little bit north of the Tampa metropolitan area. Uh, my family, my mother's family came to Tarpon Springs to work in the sponge diving industry, like pretty much all the Greeks in Tarpon Springs who came before the, ni- the 1960s. Um, and though my family is not from the island of Kalimnos, uh, we're from Kefalonia, one of the Ionian islands. Uh, we have a lot of long-standing family connections through business and marriage and all this kind of thing with um, with Kalimnos and the Dodecanese in general. And so I grew up in this environment. My father is Irish, um, so I, I also grew up around Irish, traditional Irish music. Both families are musical. Um, my mother's family, my, my grandfather, my mother's father actually started, he was a musician. My mother is a professional musician. Um, mm. So at least, and I think there are amateur musicians and in that side of the family going back even farther. So it's really the family business, at least in, at least on American soil. Mm-hmm. Uh, my Greek, my Greek family, we're, we're all musicians. Not all of us are professional musicians, but we're all musicians. Um, so I grew up around the music of Kalimnos in particular, uh, because as a kid growing up in Tarpon, you know, around Tarpon Springs in the, in the eighties, uh, that's what you heard, you know, that, I mean, mm-hmm. the, 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 the folk dance revival, the Greek American folk dance revival had already started. Um, and actually my, my godfather, uh, John Lulius, 
was the founder of Le Vendia, which, as I yeah. as I know you know, and probably a lot of your listeners know, was a pivotal force in in this really revolution of of interest in folk arts in general in the Greek American community over the last uh, several decades, going on, I guess, forty five years at this point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I, I was in this environment where there was all kinds of music all, all over the place. Uh, but Kalimni, the music of Kalimnos has always felt like this, um, just like this core, this home core of my experience as a, not just as a musician, as an artist, but also just as a person. Because from a very young age, even though I wasn't really, I was never in the dance group, you know, my family wasn't one of the Levendia like families, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, I I was just I have all these very vivid memories of being a child and being struck by the magic that that happens on the dance floor and also the magic that happens between people singing together in particular improvising poetry together and that just you know because there was a there was a man Nikitas Tsimuris when when I was growing up uh, it was a Tsabuna player from Kalimos um, and he was you know he was always at functions and just hearing the, the sound of the tabuna in person um, and observing people, like I said, improvising andinades, these rhyming couplets, trading them back and forth and people singing along and everybody waiting for the punchline. You know, it, it was just this magical thing and it, it made a huge impression on me. So that's what drew me in, I think, just that feeling of um, just how, how utterly participatory and inclusive this musical tradition is right that you know it just it really hit me hard that like if you show up mm-hmm. you're, you have there's, there's a role for you you know it's not mm-hmm. it's never a passive it's not in any way a passive tradition it's always a it's a very dynamic and active tradition that draws people in and invites people and almost forces people to contribute not just participate but to contribute even if it's just clapping your hands you know mm-hmm. uh so that was the core of my interest, I think, in traditional music. Uh, and I, I played, I started playing music when I was, oh, probably 10 or 11. Uh, but I didn't start by playing Greek music. I started playing drums and a little bit later guitar and mostly playing, you know, rock. And I was a metalhead in the early 90s, <laughs> played, played in punk bands. We moved to Washington, D.C. I played a lot of punk rock and things like that. Uh, but when I was a teenager, when I was maybe 15 or 16, I started to look towards my own personal roots as a, you know, culturally and in terms of my family and started really getting interested in playing, learning how to play Irish and Greek music. Um, and then I just started when I was, you know, in my late teens, I took a really really deep dive into the Greek language and um, decided to, I moved to Greece for a while and uh, spent a lot of time. I worked on a farm uh, for a while and traveled around the country, just learning whatever I could. And and I was lucky. My timing was good at that Mm -hmm. point in the, in the early two thousands, you know, the late nineties, early two thousands, I was born in 1979. So, uh, you know, it was right before Greece entered the Eurozone. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a gen- so I and I was able to spend a lot of time with a lot of old people mm-hmm. who were born 
in, you know, in the ni- in the teens, yeah. in the 19 teens and the 1920s, especially on Kalignos. A good friend of mine, um, Periklis Minas, who's also now an ethnomusicologist and uh, a really fine sabuna and lauto player, we would just back, we would like camp on the beach, like at, in, outside of a village called, called Arginonda, mm-hmm. and we just stay there all summer and hang out with all these old singers and sambuna players and just really absorb what we could. And, and I, I feel really blessed that I, I was able, as an impressionable youngish person, mm-hmm. that I decided to do that. Um, I was about to say, <laughs> that I decided to do that rather than go to college, which is, but it's true. Right. Um, that's what I did when, when all of the people I went to high school with were in college and, you know, doing that thing. That's what the kind of stuff I was doing. Mm-hmm. And then later, um, and I was working as a musician, and then I just found a way later to synthesize these things and wound up going to school to study Greek, um, ancient and modern Greek language and literature and translation studies. Um, then I wound up, I, I, I was working as a musician and I, I I was just very dissatisfied on a personal level with what I was, with my experience of the world. I wasn't getting enough answers to the questions I had about, mm-hmm. about all this stuff that I love so much. I was doing it all the time, um, but I wasn't having the kind of conversations that I wanted to have. I wasn't, I didn't have the time or the energy or the resources to do the kind of research that I wanted to do in order to learn for myself, just to understand where all this stuff comes from, to understand why it's, it is the way it is, to understand why it's so powerful and magical and special, and also to understand why it is in such an endangered state in mm-hmm. so many ways. Um, and so I decided to, I heard, I learned that there was this branch of study. First, I thought about being an anthropologist, and then I realized that there was this branch of this entire giant field of, of academic inquiry called mm-hmm. musicology and ethnomusicology. And so I wound up going to graduate school and wound up uh, amazingly because, and I say amazingly because it is amazing considering the, the precarious state of the job market in my field. Mm-hmm. But I wound up getting a job here back home in Florida, but also at Florida State, which is where my parents met. Oh, and my, my and my yaya actually was part of the first group of Greek immigrant girls to go to from Tarpon Springs to go to college in the 1940s, and she came here to the Florida right. State Co- College for Women in Tallahassee. Um, and so it's a it's a wild full circle that now I am researching and teaching about all of these processes uh, at a institute at an institution that in many ways defined my family's American story. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's so a, interesting. That's a long winded answer, but I am a professor, <laughs> so. <laughs> I can appreciate that. Um, as someone who used to teach um, in higher ed, I, I understand that and I cool. can appreciate that. Um, I, it's so interesting that you, you took the step on that path and it brought you to where you are today. Now, we could probably debate if you hadn't done that, would you be where you are today? Who knows, right? We're, you know, we're not here to necessarily debate that, but um, I had no idea that Florida State had that kind of connection um, to the Greek culture and the Greek community, and also that it's such, it has such a strong program, um, you know, for this type of study. How did that, do you know how that came about, the history behind the Florida, Florida State, State having, yeah. Having an ethnomusicology program? Well, the Florida yeah. State College of Music is one of the biggest, and I would argue, 
one of the most comprehensive uh, conservatory, like public public university conservatories in the United States, mm -hmm. and certainly certainly in the Southeast. Uh, it's it's an enormous school with um, an absolutely stellar faculty in all all realms of, of, of music. And for a very long time, there was a man here named Dale Olson, who was a really was a, a pioneering ethnomusicologist in a lot of ways, and who was a specialist in Latin American and Caribbean music, but also was really a visionary about what what is possible um, in the kind of criti critical study of, of music as culture. And he, he set a lot of great things in motion and that's really how it, how it happened. Uh, we just, we get a tremendous amount of support from the university and particularly from the administration of the college in terms of our mission, what we're trying to do. And uh, it's, it's really a wonderful place. It's really a wonderful yeah. place to be, yeah. That's awesome. I had no idea. I, you know, you yeah. when I think of like music programs, I think of Berkeley. Um, sure. And I can appreciate that you said, you know, a public institution, because I think there's a big difference between public and private. And the fact that these resources exist at a public institution means it's more accessible even for people Absolutely. who are maybe looking to do their own research or, or do some studying, um, you know, or kind of pulling Absolutely. information to support what they might be trying to teach a dance group. Um, Absolutely. One thing I want that want to hit on that you uh, mentioned is, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, the fact that um, there's some sort of endangerment um, mm. in the preservation, or perhaps you know there's a need for preserving Greek culture through music. Um, we talk a lot about this about the importance for preserving Greek culture through dance and how critically important instructors are and maintaining programs, but can you talk to us a little bit more about your perception on that? Sure. And this is a, this is, I think, a thorny issue sometimes because we have to be very careful about what we mean by the words we use, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I think actually, from my perspective today in 2020, what year is this now? That's <laughs> 21. <laughs> 21. <laughs> um, I think that, you know, Greek, traditional Greek music and dance as a thing that people do is actually is in an extraordinarily healthy place right now, mm -hmm. uh, both in Greece and throughout the diaspora. I mean, especially compared if you're just if we're just talking about numbers and participation and the degree of importance that it occupies in people's lives. I don't think there's ever been a point in the Greek American community where traditional music and dance, the way that we think about it in the whole folk dance group world and those kind of events, like the competitions and festivals and that kind of thing. Um, I don't think there's ever been a time in the Greek American community, at least since World War II, um, you know, at least since, since immigration laws changed in the mm -hmm. 19, at the end of the twenties and cut, you know, cut off the, turned off the faucet, you know, mm -hmm. of migration to the States for 40 years or so. Uh, I don't think there's ever been a time that there've been more people involved. I and mean, then it's been more central to the lives of particularly young people, right? Which mm -hmm. is always the key. So it's not, in, I don't think it's endangered at all in terms of uh, it disappearing mm -hmm. as something that people do. 
And in Greece, I think I, I don't know the folk dance scene in Greece as well as I do the one here. But in terms of music, actually, just people playing traditional music, it's marvelously healthy in Greece. Mm -hmm. um, all that being said, I think there's a difference between some people doing something or perpetuating something and people doing being people doing it creatively. And what I mean is that we tend to, and this is, this is something that's just, it's natural and normal in any, any kind of uh, revival, uh, you know, any kind of revival of culture. Mm -hmm. um, we tend to be very conservative, right? Because we want, because we, there is this fear of, of, of these traditions, these practices disappearing and along with them, a fundamental part of who we are, of our identity as individuals, but also as the collective. Like our shared identity as Greek, as members of the Greek diaspora, as people who love these, we love these traditions, we love the music and dance, not only because they're fun and because mm -hmm. it's a way to, to share something great with people who get it, mm -hmm. but also because a lot of the things, whether or not we do this consciously or not, a lot of the values, our values, our cultural values, our beliefs about ourselves, about our place in the world, our place in things even larger than us are encoded in these practices, right? Like when we, when we dance together, you know, you, you, y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. That feeling mm -hmm. that we get, you know, mm -hmm. that feeling of togetherness, of community, of fellowship, you know, um, that's a special thing. Now, we tend to look when we're when our concern, when one of our main concerns is keeping something going, keeping something alive, we naturally tend to be conservative about it because we don't because we recognize, especially in a diasporic context, that there are so many competing things in our lives mm -hmm. as well. Right. And so we want to make sure that we hold on to stuff that we can share. But, you know. What happens, I think, is that we wind up getting an artificially um, an artificially conservative or limited view of what these traditions are capable of, um, because we're you know we're we're in our minds we're trying to preserve something that we perceive of this lost world. This you know, like I was mm -hmm. saying before, the, you know, the old timers who grew up you know without electricity in the village on the island, where like this was it wasn't like oh let's let's have a pani, let's go to the panigiri or let's like listen to, you know, mm -hmm. traditional music, like, you know, violi and sabuna and clarino instead of buzuki, because that's what we want to do because that we connect to it. No, it's like, let's listen to tabuna because that's the only music there is, mm -hmm. right? That's what, that's what music is, right? right. Um, and so when that's the entirety of your, and I'm just oversimplifying, right? Of course there was people were hearing other music, but you know what I mean? That's, mm -hmm. that's what's accessible. Um, you can be more artistically creative with it. You can, you can do different things. And I think that, you know, sometimes I'm, even I am surprised when I go back and I listen to old recordings, um, especially from the pre-industrial era. And sometimes I'm shocked at how like wild and different and, and actually cos cosmopolitan a lot of these traditions were when they were just in their natural habitat you know, rather than being curated with a particular ideology in mind. And there's always, we're every, everybody's always operating according to 
a set of ideologies. You know, we all have goals, we all have values, we all have things that we like and we don't for for aesthetic, political, spiritual, social reasons. Um, but I think that what I part of my mission, and I'll just wrap up this <laughs> long essay <laughs> um, in response to your to your question. Part of my personal mission, like my own, as we say in the South, my own ministry is um, is trying to get young people who are part of our community, not just, it's like all these other people have done this tremendous work to put this music and dance in the hands of young people. And they're just, go, they're running with it and it's amazing. So now I'm like, I'm in a privileged position where I'm like, okay, so I can start teaching, I can start educating young people about how this stuff works. Like it's mm -hmm. the structure. And especially the thing I noticed the most in our community, because for obvious reasons, as you know, because we, we live in this infinitely varied like border zone between language languages and cultural, you know, contexts. Um, I just want, I want young people to understand how not just the sound and movement, but also the language, how they work together, right? There's this interface that happens in this music where so much of the magic comes from that has to do, it's this interface between, you know, melody and rhythm, physical bodily mm -hmm. movement, and the Greek language. For, for the most part, of course, other languages are involved, but, you know, the poetry, like the poetry of our traditional music is just so, such a deep, nourishing well and it has been such a central thing in my life, not just as a musician, but as a person, as a, as a man, as a human being. Um, and I, I want I want young I want Greek Americans who are involved in this stuff to understand that. And I want them to understand the wider cultural context so that we're not just we're not just preserving something. And we're not just focused on like, you know, is the costume right or mm -hmm. are you like, you know, playing that ornamentation on the violin the way that so and so old timer did on this one recording. I want us to be, be able to be, to inhabit these traditions in a, in a living, breathing, creative way, right? So that they can not just be preserved, but that they can continue to grow and evolve and be a part of our lives in a way that gives, just constantly giving to mm -hmm. us. If that make, does that make sense? Yes, Absolutely. it does. <laughs> yes. Very um, much so. Yeah, it does. How you get to that, it's almost like, Theosis, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I know it's obscure and it's also personal too, right? Because Absolutely. My like threshold for that or where I feel that connection can be totally different than somebody else. Absolutely. You know, I, th I think that I mean, that for me touches on such a powerful conversation because and I have this conversation a lot with, you know, and from the perspective of dance, when we're yeah. teaching traditional dance and we're saying that this is the right way to do it, this is the way they did it in the village. Well, how are we, how are we making that determination? Because you have a video, you talk to somebody who did this dance this way in the 1930s, whatever, 1940s. That's how they did it. That's how they did it in that time period. But that isn't necessarily the law that this is the only way that this dance can be done because you're also taking out personal expression at that point. So oh. it's it's this whole notion of, okay, we need to teach the traditions and conserve it, 
but we need to simultaneously be teaching how the rubrics of the dance so that I can, within those rubrics, put my personal touch on it without Absolutely. offending the dance, but still being who I am on the dance floor. If I want to jump up and wave my hand around and, the, you know, because the music is telling me to do that, there should be nobody on the sidelines saying, oh, no, 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 that's not how we do this dance. Um, so very much so with music, the same thing. If the musician wants to put, you know, some flourishes on this part of the melody, because that's what's speaking to them, like, if that's within the rubrics of the style or region yeah. or, you know, that's that's how each person puts their touch on it. But then this whole notion of, okay, well, you know, what are we passing down as the right way could just have been somebody's personal expression. Absolutely. So it's, it's important to note, like, I, I have this debate a lot with people, but it's, <laughs> it's important to know that, you know, everything we listen to, everything we see, the words that we hear in the song, maybe that was a kind of an improvisational poetry that somebody was singing that day. And all of a sudden that became, oh, well, this is the song. No, that's yeah. that yeah. was what moved them on that day to sing those words and it got recorded. And now, you know, so it's it's understanding the context that you're learning and then being able to really break that down for the next people to learn it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. I agree 100% with everything you just said. Um, on so many, there's so many things that come to mind when you say that. And again, you know, I, th I think it's just important to it's important for us to think about everything in context, and um, and also remember that the world, that the people. I mean, I, I I love your example of yeah, we maybe we have like this one record. Maybe there's only one record of, you know, a particular song you know, from this particular place. And it's the only one, you know, from like, that somebody happened to record in like the 1950s or, or whatever, and maybe it disappeared and it's been revived and people are doing it again. But you know, it could have been like, maybe there's mistakes on it, you know, maybe like sure. somebody, right? I mean, that's that's one of the things like in the in the music of Kalimnos, which I know the, of all the Greek traditions is the one I know the best. We have countless examples of this. I mean, the Kalimnian music is very interesting in that almost the entirety of the repertoire, well, there's two things. The Tabuna repertoire has a lot of indigenous stuff, like it's only played in Kalimnos, but in terms of the violin and, and, and Lahuto music, pretty much every piece of the repertoire is not just from somewhere else, but is explicitly, mm -hmm. like people are aware of it. Like we, we call the different songs like Okotikos, like from Kos. Lericos, right? You know, yeah. whatever. You know, a lot of there's all these songs from Asia Minor that you know, mm -hmm. but even even some of the really common melodies that are known in other places in Greece, you can always tell if you're hearing the Kalimian version because there's something weird about it. There's always like an extra beat, or mm -hmm. there's an extra phrase, or we do some strange twist and turn, and it's largely because there were a couple of very important. Um, kind of larger than life musical figures on the island in the, in the middle part of the 20th century who just came up with their own versions. And we don't, you know, maybe it's because they miss, they, you know, they were learning stuff by ear. Maybe they heard somebody from wherever, from Nishiros play this particular tune. They, and they heard him play it two or three times and they went home, they couldn't quite remember it. So they came up with something else and that becomes codified. 
as mm-hmm. like the Kalimnian version. But it's just one person's yeah. particular take on it. But because, you know, again, we're 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 separated in some ways from the world in which this music was mainstream. That's I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You know, it's not like there's yeah. no hard and fast like this stuff was everything. And then all of a sudden it disappeared. No, but there was there was a there were these points in the relatively recent past um, in which that was this music was the majority of people's musical experience in these places. Right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, something that I notice a lot is um, this issue that you were talking about um, uh, about um you know, maybe, you know, the version of the song that we sing was something that somebody improvised in that moment. I mean, mm-hmm. the, you know, traditionally, there are really two kinds of songs in Greek folk music. There are songs that are like mm-hmm. narratives, right, that have like, yeah. there's a, it's a story that's told and the lyrics are always pretty, they're, they're actually lyrics to a mm-hmm. song, you know, and they're, they're yeah. pretty much always sung the same way. But then you have, you know, there's, there are scopi, you know, tunes, melodies that are, that are vehicles for improvised poetry, mm-hmm. especially in the Aegean Islands. It's still strong. It's pretty mm-hmm. much died out in most of mainland Greece, that tradition, mm-hmm. but it still exists in other places. But, you know, the idea of singing a dance song, like a Kalamatiano or Sirtos melody, and singing the same lyrics every time you do it is anathema mm-hmm. to the spirit of this tradition, right? But, I mean, if you're a diaspora kid who's, you know, who speaks, doesn't speak Greek as your only language, yeah. How are you going to, you have to put, unless you grow up in a family where that's something people do, or like myself, you luck into a situation and you have like the interest and the resources to just dive in and apprentice yourself consciously, which is what I did over a decade, really, you know, like you're not going to, how are you going to learn how to improvise poetry in like, you know, in in that dialect of Greek, mm-hmm. you know, because in order to get to that point, you have to memorize thousands of couplets of rhyming couplets. So you understand the structure, mm-hmm. you understand what how you play with things, and then the real the real art of it, the real context of it, is having a conversation in real time in mm-hmm. public performance with other singers, where you you create these massive chains of poetry that with meanings weaving in and out where you're commenting on things that are happening in real time, where you're mm-hmm. referencing, you're poking fun at people, you're, you're telling people how cool their, their new shoes look, you know, mm-hmm. you're making, you know, like it's this, like I said before, that's the magic of it to me because that's what turns it into this thing that people remember forever. That's mm-hmm. part of people's lives. I have been so blessed to both in Greece and also in Tarpon Springs to I mean, I could tell you stories about dozens of amazing, you know, panigiria or, you know, impromptu jams or whatever that happened to people's houses. And the things I remember are the lyrics that people mm-hmm. improvised because they were just so perfect and so, you know, made such an impression and cracked everybody up or made people tear up, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And that's the kind of stuff that I want, that I want the young people in our community to have access to, mm-hmm. you know? But it's a tricky thing, right? Because it depends on all these different overlapping um, cultural competencies mm-hmm. that that are tricky. It, it's tricky when you're living in a transnational community, you know? 
Absolutely. Uh, and I think you don't see that stuff. Well, I shouldn't say that. Um, so I just had a, a cousin, if you will, get married. And yeah. I know exactly were, what you mean when you say a cousin, if you will. Right. You know, <laughs> I mean, they are technically like cousins. I didn't grow up with them. So like, it's also yeah. kind of, you know, you know, yeah, that I know. thing. Yes. Um, and people <laughs> sing Mandi Naves at yeah. the groom's house, the bride's yeah. house as they're walking to the church. Right. Yeah. And generally the people who do this are the older people in the family. Yeah. And this time, um, of course the older people did it, but also some of the younger people wrote Mandinadas and oh. it's so, it like blows my mind every time it happens because I'm like, you, you don't see that often, you know, you see yeah. like the, the Thea like doing it or yeah. whoever it is, like probably somebody in their sixties, but yeah. how do you teach people? Like, for example, I found my great grandfather's, he was a priest and I found they were kind of in Mandina, this forms like couplets, his life lessons, right? Mm. And I, even my mom, born and raised in Greece, was having a hard time explaining sure. to me how he was using the idiomatic expressions because culturally, right, that time that he was writing in doesn't exist anymore. Absolutely. So how, how do you teach that? How do you get, especially how do you get non-Greeks to understand like the culture behind that? Uh, well, um, I don't, I'm not sure. Well, first of all, I don't think you can teach. Uh, well, you can teach. I mean, you know, if, for example, for example, I taught uh, Greek. I taught modern Greek for many years at a Hellenic college in the, the, the undergraduate um, institution that's connected to Holy Cross, the seminary mm -hmm. in, in Brookline, Massachusetts, in the Boston area. And Mandinades were one of the, and I, mean, I still do, I, I taught a summer course for them this summer. And I use Mandinades every single day, mm -hmm. every single day, because they're, 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 they're a great way to explain grammar and syntax mm -hmm. and, and how the Greek language is very flexible in terms of where you put things and, you know, because they're compact, you know, it's two lines of two 15 syllable lines. They rhyme, but they always have, like I said before, a punchline, you know, there's always a message. There's mm -hmm. always a. So you can see how the language, how you can construct meaning and sometimes extraordinarily deep meaning in a very short, a, a, a small package. So if you're talking to people who speak Greek or understand some or are learning it and are thinking consciously about the nuts and bolts of the language, that's one way that you can at least expose people. But, you know, I mean, really, when it comes down to it, the only way to learn how to how to live for periods of time through that art form is to just be around it. And mm -hmm. there are very few places in the world now, in, in the Greek world, where mm -hmm. it's still a very, a, a living, breathing tradition. I mean, really, really, I mean, Crete, pretty much mm -hmm. everywhere in Crete um, is what is the place. And then in some of these places like Karpathos, mm -hmm. where people still do improvise on a larger mm -hmm. scale, um, but it's really, you know, Crete is the is, I think, the last remaining stronghold of of this stuff being embedded to a very large degree in people's lives, and that's an that's a very interesting um, point because as as um, you know, as uh, Evan was saying earlier about individual expression, mm -hmm. you know, how do you find, how do you preserve something, a tradition, in a in an immediately recognizable form mm -hmm. 
that is is absolutely what it is, incontrovertibly what it is, but still has all this room, all this space for individual creation and expression. And my absolutely favorite example of this, I think at any point in time, it would be this, one of the strongest examples um, in dance, is the, the way that, that men dance the uh, sirtos in Kisamos, in the western part of Hanya in Crete, mm-hmm. um, where it's only it's one person dancing at a time with the person holding them, following their steps. Mm-hmm. They're doing the, the, the basic, they're doing endless uh, variations, improvisations on the basic sirtos, you know, chaniotikos, you know, sirtos pattern. But if you watch a line of, of men, a, a parea of nine or ten people, people who, you know, grown up together, who have been dancing together at every, like probably, you know, probably 90% of the times they've danced in their own community, they've danced with that same group of guys, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, you watch those 10 people and they can they can look like they're doing 10 absolutely different, like if you don't understand the grammar of, of the body language, it just looks to you like they're just, just doing whatever. And mm-hmm. this guy is doing whatever in a way that is like, universes away from what the next guy is doing his whatever right mm-hmm. so one guy can do flashy crazy stuff like i mean there's this famous guy babis sideris uh, i don't know if you guys sidera his nickname he's all over youtube he's a mm-hmm. guy from from castelli who just this amazing acrobatic crazy mm-hmm. stuff but then you know you could see somebody i have a friend who like danced he's just like he barely moves you know he just, and he does this thing with his shoulder you know <laughs> like in his feet <laughs> His feet barely lift off the ground, but he's like, it looks like he's flying through space when he dances because he has this amazing body independence. You know, some people are like low down to the ground and doing, there's one old guy from Lusakies and Kisamos who's dancing, who does these crazy, like, you know, does these like spins and stuff when he's dancing the the (laughs) Hanyotico. I mean, but every single one of these people, it's what they do, it's their, it's like what dancing is to them. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. that, that is like, what that creates is this, it creates ripples through time and space and experience. And it just, it's strength, the diversity, right? The, um, the diversity of that, ex- of expression in that small community, in that, in that, in one parea mm-hmm. of, of, of dudes, that sends sparks out into the, you know, into the community, into the world, and you're a little, you know, you're you're a young kid watching that. You're like, oh man, I really love that. You know, you're sitting with your buddies. You know, you're in, you're you're in like fourth grade or whatever, and you're starting to, you know, get interested in all this stuff. And you're like, oh, check out, and you learn, you internalize mm-hmm. the grammar and the syntax of the movement, you know, and then you can use that over a lifetime of experience to develop your own personal style. That's how it works in real life. That's how we, that's how we develop our our personalities as cooks as you know as as friends as writers as skateboarders i don't know you know as Mm -hmm. video game players i mean that's just what human experience is that's how we learn to do things so then the question we return to the question like us in our position you know people like Mm -hmm. us who love this stuff who like you know this music and dance these these traditions like make our world go round like what conscious decisions do we make mm-hmm. in order to 
keep this stuff going, keep it in our lives, keep it in other people's lives, but also try to, you know, as educators, as we all are, you know, now we're, we're, we're getting, we're, we're entering into a different, um, life stage, you know, mm-hmm. where we're starting to become, we're starting to become, you know, elders, we're starting to become Thea and Theo right. stuff. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like we, we have, we have, we have a tremendous responsibility. Yes. We have a tremendous responsibility to to make sure I believe I'm just speaking for myself, right? But this is an opinion I've I've come to after decades of really active conscious involvement with this stuff. My golden rule for myself is that every time I do any of these things, I must I must do them according to what I believe are the underlying what is the, is the underlying bedrock of like cultural values mm-hmm. that, that they represent. So I just always strive to do, do things according to a way that my mentors would recognize and understand, not necessarily praise me for, or not necessarily uh, agree with, or not necessarily say, Oh, that's great. Cause you did it exactly the way I taught you, but I want it to feel, I want to feel like I'm in dialogue. Mm-hmm with everybody currently who's doing these things, but also with all of my mentors and heroes and, and all that. And so, you know, essentially, I mean, at the core, I think that's what we all always have to do. We always have to be thinking that way. And, you know, you can't, we can't expect every young person who has, even who has talent for this stuff to care about it as much as we do. You know, I, I fully recognize that I'm a, a, bizarre outlier you know that i like that i care about this stuff so much and i think about it so hard and i you know i obsess about it you know um i don't but i do think that you know it does inspire young people you know um and they just i think it's important that our young people know that they have people they can come to from for information and for connections and for resources so there's there's so many things that I want yeah, to touch on, but like, so one of the, I mean one of the biggest things in what I'm hearing you say that just keeps like ringing for me is um, just that whole notion that maybe I guess the way I would put it is so many of our kids are introduced to music and dance from this very regimented kind of approach. This is the song. This is the recording of it. The one recording I have of the one song. And this is the dance that goes to that song. And, you know, on the third sequence, you're going to do a kick here and you're going to do a turn on the fifth sequence. And that's how so many of our kids are taught what dance is. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, listening to you talk about, um, you know, how to express yourself and the improvisation and just, there's the whole living side of dance. So there's that very like structured side that most of our kids are taught, whether, you know, we're preparing for performance and everybody has to look perfect. Um, but I think even with performance and competition, we've we've been seeing and learning that the groups that embrace this whole natural organic side of what Greek dance is, they're the ones that are really thriving and they're the ones that are succeeding. So being able to bridge that and and teach our next generation the whole living side of dance to me is like everything that that is not just dance music too but um 
it just like I have chills the whole time you're talking about it. Yeah. It's, it's it's so it's magical when you when you get the opportunity to really experience that when you're mm-hmm. I mean for me it's the dance side of it and but it's for me it's when I'm dancing and I get that bond with the musicians and there I mean my favorite is when they come off the stage what I mean even better when they're unplugged from the stage and they're they're in the middle and I'm dancing around them and it's all you know it's just this back and forth between what the dance is doing and what the music is telling us to do and what the dance is telling the musicians to do and this I mean there's words because they're singing and they're you know Mm -hmm. but it's it's this whole dialogue that happens that and you don't even have to think about it. It just happens so naturally and organically. And that is when the magic happens. And that's, those are the moments that I seek out because mm-hmm. you can't, you can't recreate that. You can't force that. You can't, it's, it's just, I, I don't even know how to describe it to somebody. Cause I'm like, I will, I'll bring you to that moment, but you have to be the one that jumps yes. off the cliff and experience yes. it. Like you have to take Absolutely. that leap of faith and let the music just catch you and like lift you up because that's what happens and that mm-hmm. is like when you to me like that's the crossover moment where you're like okay i'm hooked i love yes. it <laughs> yeah that, i mm. no go ahead no so i totally agree with you and I, I i think you you hit right on the head you know a nail that i was trying to position in the right place you know um, <laughs> i just moved and so i've been hanging stuff on the walls and so I'm, I'm thinking in these kind of metaphors um but um, but actually, just thinking about metaphor is a good, I think, a good way to talk about it. Um, but yeah, I think that what we, the best thing that we can do ultimately, those of us who know, who, ha- who have something, right? Who have, you know, as, as we say, a litharaki to put on the pile. Like, mm-hmm. we just, we have to make sure that we cultivate these spaces, these welcoming, open spaces where everybody is invited, mm-hmm. not just to, to participate, but to contribute, no matter what that means, just by their presence, just by sharing their energy. You know, even if you're, you don't know how to dance yet, or you're shy, or you don't know this particular dance, just be there, be there mm-hmm. and don't watch from the, don't like watch from the corner, come up and like, hang out, be in the presence of it, feel the vibrations, you know? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and so we need to, I think we just need to, if we, we, we have a community, we're scattered throughout the world, but whenever we can get together, whenever we can make stuff happen, we have to, we have to, we have to make those spaces, we have to bring them into being, we have to cultivate them and make sure that they are, like I said, open and accessible and welcoming, because that's how people, that's how it's going to survive, not just survive and not just thrive, but that's how it's going to be or rather it's going to survive and it's going to thrive by mm-hmm. becoming an integral part of the next generation's yes. life experience and what it means to them, not just being Greek, whatever that is. I mean, I don't, every day that goes by, I have less a firm sense of what that even, that kind of stuff even means, but just being, or not even thinking in those terms, just like, this is a thing that I love that means so much to me that like has enriched my life in an unimaginable way. And I want other people to have this experience, but it's not the, and I also want people to understand that it's young people to understand that you don't have to like have 
you know, been raised on your yaya's knee, learning mandinaves in order mm -hmm. to like understand and feel it and contribute to it. You know, and that's what I was going to say about metaphor. You know, I love this word. I mean, metaphora, as we all, mm -hmm. as you know, anybody who's like hung out in Greece knows. I mean, that's that's the word for like moving stuff physically. I mean, that's what a moving van has on its side, right? Mm -hmm. It says metaphors. <laughs> you know, metaphores. <laughs> but mm -hmm. what is a, a metaphor is is just, I mean, literally, this Greek word means understanding something new by taking the 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 furniture, the mental furniture that you have from a lifetime of experience and transferring it from this old, familiar, comfortable place to the new, strange, um, you know, Un, un, ununderstood, not yet understood place. And by living in that new space with the stuff you've brought with you from your life, you, you learn to understand that space. It's just like moving from one house to another. You take mm -hmm. your furniture with you, you take your pots and pans, you take your books, you take your bed sheets, you take your, you know, whatever. And that stuff inhabits the new space and it becomes your, your life, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's how I think about these traditions, right? So if we, we can all do that together, we can bring, but it's not like trying to become a different person. It's not like trying to become more traditional or more Greek or anything. It's taking who we are, our values, bringing them, and I'm, you know, for, you know, young people, like, you know, bring the, bring who you are with you to this mm -hmm. new, to this space that we, your elders, you know, are cultivating and inviting you to, because we mm -hmm. want you to be part of it. We want to share all this together. So that that's like what I'm always trying to to get, you know, to to give and to cultivate and that kind of thing. And so I like as a musician, you know, I made this decision. It was the decision was kind of made for me by circumstance, but I decided mm -hmm. to lean into it. Um, I made a decision to even though it means that I there are far less musical situations that I can participate in. It means that I, I can go deeper into the things that I want. I only play music from Kalimnos, like in terms of, in terms of Greek music. I play Kalimian music. I play music from Western Crete. And I mean, I I did a lot of research on Lesbos for my dissertation, and so I know that music very well. But I don't. I mean, I can play the tunes, but I don't. I don't really. I don't do it the way they do it. I don't. I wouldn't call myself somebody who plays music from Mitilini. Mm -hmm. You know. I play music from Kalimnos. I know that music really well. I, I know the, I speak the dialect well enough that I can improvise the poetry the right way. I've had, you know, countless experiences there playing with musicians. I know that stuff. I know the stuff from Kisamos pretty well. My two people who I've played the most with are people who only play that, those two things. And that's my personal way of ensuring that when I do those things, I know what I'm doing. Right. Yeah. Um, it means I don't, you know, so, so when I wound up, wound up going to things like, um, I've never been to FDF actually. Um, I'm hoping to do that. <laughs> oh, really? Interesting. Yeah, I would love to, <laughs> I would love to talk about the dance, um, festival thing, um, in, as well. But, you know, when I've been to HDF several times and, you know, some of the regional things and I love exactly what you were talking about, like just my musical participation at those things, unless I'm playing for like Levin Yeah you know, from Tarpon, mm -hmm. um, is just, you know, kind of being available to hang out and like sit until four in the morning in the, in the hallway yes. or in the lobby and just jamming. And, you know, like that's, 
I want, like, that's what I can contribute, I think. Because I'm not the kind of musician who you're going to hire to, like, play a suite of music from from Thraki and then a suite of music from Ipiro mm -hmm. and a suite of music. I mean, I could I can learn the tunes and do them, but I also don't really want to do that because there's people who will do it better than I do because they know that music and, you know. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's funny what you, you said, uh, Evan, about, you know, the dance. I think it was, well, I can't remember which one of you was saying this, but, you know, learning, seeing how, like, the groups who are more, who are less rigid about, sure. you know, things yeah. tend to be the ones who are thriving. I mean, I remember the first time I went to one of these um, festivals, which I think was HDF in probably 2000 and 2005 or something like that. Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. That's wrong. I, I meant 2012 or 2013 or something like that. I was thinking, how old was my older daughter? And, uh, <laughs> I was confusing what year she was born. But uh, I remember, you know, we went with, with Levendia and, you know, it's Levendia. It's all these Kalinian kids. And we just did, we did Kalinos and then like Kos. So it's, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, radically different, right? To to us, you know, Michalis sure. and I, my buddy, Michalis Kapas, this wonderful violinist from Kalinos who I play with. You know, we like broke our heads, like trying to get the stuff of course right, you know, because we wanted it to sound mm -hmm. like the kids were used to dancing on the recording. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and the course stuff went fine. But the kind of no stuff was like we've been playing exactly this stuff for this exact group of kids for like 15 years, <laughs> you know, they're all or 10 years at that point. You know, they're all you know, they're all like teenagers, you know. Right. And so it's not you don't have to practice for that. You just <laughs> do what you do when you when everybody's hanging out on Friday night, that kind of thing, you know? Um, and so I personally, I prefer to have those experiences, even though it means I don't have any, but I, you know, how often do I get to play that music mm -hmm. with another, with another person once a yeah. year, maybe, Yeah. you know, but it, it's, I think like that's, there's something powerful about that where we're not creating dance programs. We're not creating music programs. I mean, that's what we are doing, but what we should be doing is creating spaces, exactly like you said. Absolutely, absolutely. It should be a natural organic space where these things can just happen. And it doesn't have to be super rigid and structured, but it's more so about, I, I always think of like, you can bring a horse to water, but you can't force him to drink. Yeah, absolutely. You create the space, you make all of these tools and, resources and knowledge bases available you show mm -hmm. you show everybody why it's so beautiful and powerful and i mean the rest they have to do that so you know this whole notion that we're going to you know drill these things into their heads and you know you're going to learn this dance you're going to love it you're going to learn this music you're going to love it that's yeah. you know that's not the answer yeah um, i so that, that to me, and I, you know, just, I say this a lot, but like that was when we had our dance group Fotia in New York, I feel like that was, that was our focus. Yeah. Um, our dance practices were very loose. We, the one thing that we didn't have, I mean, we all kind of dabbled in instruments and there'd be times yeah. where we'd bring our instruments down and we would just yeah. jam out a little bit and some people would dance to it. We were never good at playing. So it was, you know, <laughs> But it, I mean, it, it came from a subjective. place of passion. It's subjective. You know, I, there's there's something that, sorry, not to interrupt you, but there's something that uh, 
there's something that um, musicians in the American, like the in, here in the South and like the old old time string band music scene, you know, like fiddles and banjos and stuff. Yeah. There's something that, there's something that they say about their music that I really love. They say, "Hey man, it's a whole lot better than it sounds." <laughs> you know. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and that's that's what it's all about, I think. But anyway, continue, yeah. Evan. But I mean, I loved what we created there. Um, and I don't think it was ever what we intended to set out and do, but it just happened where we created a space where we knew every Tuesday night there was dance. Yeah. We would show up. People would show up whenever they wanted to, basically. I mean, we had a start time, but it was very loose. People showed up. And it was always, you know, when dance practice started, it was hitting the shuffle button on the laptop. Whatever oh, cool. songs came on is what we danced. And oh, wow. if there was a dance that somebody, you know, that came on and somebody was like, wait, 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 can you break that step down for me a little bit more? We would do that. But it was That's never, awesome. it was never a dance practice where I went to the practice with, okay, tonight I'm teaching X, Y, and Z from this village. Um, it was always whatever, whatever the computer decided for us is what we yeah. played. Mm-hmm. It, I, you know, it was almost trying to like treat it like we were at a Glendy and the musicians were picking the songs and we were just kind awesome. of dancing it. So it became this thing where, I mean, my, my students, I would say, had a repertoire of probably over 250 dances that we could just pull from because wow. we did it for so long that they just knew the stuff mm-hmm. and they knew it organically it was never this dance goes into this dance into this dance into that dance and this is our show right so it was when we did get performance requests it was always the week before we performed we'd say okay we're going to do this area of Greece yeah we'll do this dance this dance and this dance let's run through it a few times and then we're we're good um because everybody learned I I pushed everybody to learn it in their own voice um Mm -hmm. But even with that, like I look at, it, I look back on it, I'm like, there's still we got we we went far with it, but there's this whole, there's so much more to yeah. Greek music, Greek dance that I wasn't even able to touch on because sure. we didn't have access to the music in the way that, yeah, I mean now I know so much more about music just especially doing this podcast. I mean it's really opened my oh, yeah, eyes. I'm sure. There's so much more than, and I've always thought I, I know a lot, but I'm like, okay, you, you, you know this much. And, you well, know. it's an endless, it's an endless, it's an endless, literally, it's yeah. a bottomless well, like I said. Yeah. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it just never ceases to amaze me how, how deep and broad and rich each micro local tradition is. Yeah. Because you know? mm-hmm. each village, it's yeah. each person yeah. too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's very important to remember as well. And I always try to make that impression on um, on young people, you know, like we have to remember that, you know, so and so who we know from like a recording, you know, who's like some genius violinist or singer or dancer or whatever, you know, they wound up doing that stuff because they happen to be born in this particular time and place. Yeah. You know, sure. Imagine, you know, they're they're human be- they're just human beings like any other human being. You know, if they had been born in a different time and place, they would have done something else with the skills, with their natural, you know, inherited, God-given, whatever, you know, skills and abilities. But they would have had other interests and other circumstances. And, you know, we just have to always remember this is just part of individual human experience and, um, and that they can be part of 
your individual human experience and you can shape the person you are. Like I said this earlier, but I cannot, it's impossible to overemphasize my, like my values, my I sense of myself as a man, as a human being, as a father, you know, as a friend, as a neighbor, all these things are so saturated with, so deeply informed by all of this, my experiences over a lifetime of being in love with this music and dance and poetry and the community that I've become a part of because of mm -hmm. it, you know? It's really, it really is, if not the anchor, one of the primary anchors of my life, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's an anchor, which means that it's something solid and real and tangible, but it moves. Mm -hmm. It moves with the current, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. I think that that focus on community is so important because imagine if you didn't have that community in your formative years, you know, yeah. you would, uh, we wouldn't be here. None of us would be Absolutely. here, right? Absolutely. Um, and in our season one wrap up, we, Evan and I were out, out in Arizona um, and we like, we're getting kind of deep about community and truly what that means and how being welcoming and bring everybody in regardless of um, ability, interest, like desire to be up there and dancing. Yeah. Dance is so much more of a community than I think we have ever really realized it to be. And you know, when you all said like, you can't, you can bring a horse, but you can't make it drink the yeah. water, right? But you can put salt in its oats. You know what I mean? And that yeah, is yeah, a totally. strong community, you know, yeah. being welcoming, you know, treating everybody kind of with, not kind of, treating people with respect and, and fostering a strong community is going yeah. to help perpetuate that. And I think, Absolutely. Um, you know, when I, we, I, again, we haven't been to HDF. I'm on the HDF planning committee this year, so I'll definitely be there oh, cool. this year. Oh, great. Um, I'll be there. Yeah, it's going to be like great. Be and awesome. it's a quick drive from where I'm living now yeah. in Florida, so not bad, yeah. but um, what I'm so excited about is the community because my guess is, is that when you get there, it's just like pervasive in the best oh sense. My God, it's yeah. everywhere, you know? Absolutely. Um, and I, I wish everyone could see that because I think, um, sometimes we don't realize like the treasure that we have when we're teaching a dance group, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and the potential that we have you know, to expose kids to and, and to really how we can really like reel them into this. Um, so yeah. I, I second that. I fully believe community is, is what has kept us here. It's what has gotten us all interested in this. Like if, you know, hundred percent. Yeah. Well, and, and, and if I may um, say something about all of these things that we, we have been discussing about community, about how to, to address this question of, how do we learn more about mm -hmm. how do we how do we deepen our understanding of these traditions and their cultural and historical and political context in order to in order to learn better how we can contribute and perpetuate and help them to grow? Um, I am a member of this of a really extraordinary community of um, of researchers and artists and scholars and people who love and care about these, about Greek culture. Um, it's an academic association called the Modern Greek Studies Association. 
Um, and we have an annual conference. We have a, a journal where, you know, people write papers about all aspects of modern Greek uh, culture, history, politics, religion, arts, music. Uh, our next conference is going to be in Toronto uh, next. It's going to, it was going to be this fall, but we've moved it um, mm-hmm. for obvious reasons to next October. But I want to, to, to any young people out there, well, to everybody who's listening to this podcast, if you just go to mgsa.org, Modern Greek Studies Association.org, you can see our website. You can um, learn about all kinds of interesting things that we're doing. And if you're a young person who is really interested in all of this stuff that we're talking about and you're thinking about, you know, what you might do when you, if you go to college, when you go to college, um, there are so many modern Greek studies programs at colleges and universities throughout the U.S. and Canada, and of course in Europe, but this mm-hmm. the MGSA is a North American association. Um, there's a There are resources on that website. You can find what schools have modern Greek studies programs, what they offer, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so you might find that you're even attending at a university where there's there are faculty who teach courses on you know, not just modern Greek language, if you want to improve your command of the language or literature, or whatever, but courses on modern Greek cultural history, courses on modern Greek cinema, on mm-hmm. Greek folk, you know, folklore. It's some, a few institutions like mine, because I'm there, traditional music and dance. Um, there are resources out there and, and you can become a member of this extraordinary community and participate in all these great events. Um, I'm also, I'm on the executive board and I'm also the head of what we call the Transnational Studies Committee, which is working on all kinds of initiatives to connect people, get especially young Greek Americans involved in these kind of institu- these kind of institutions, these kinds of networks. Um, so there's this huge, broad, um, diverse group of people who are thinking, who, like, this is what we do for a living even mm-hmm. like we we think about we research we talk about we teach about we write about greek culture right and that is something i mean your your understanding and appreciation of folk music and dance for example w- would be endlessly enriched by learning more about its not just its structure and how you do it but it's it's political context, it's historical context, it's social context. And those resources are out there. There are people who are actively doing work on this stuff and producing very engageable um, material about it. So I encourage, I encourage folks to, um, to look at that and become a member of the society. And anybody mm-hmm. can join, anybody can become a, any, anyone can become a member of the Modern Greek Studies Association. You don't have to be a scholar I'm doing scare quotes for those of you who can't see me on this Zoom call. You don't have to be a scholar or researcher of, you know, you don't have to have like, you know, elbow patches on your tweed jacket and like stroke your, med- you know, your, your beard in the ivory tower to, to be part of this community. And the, and the reason I brought this up, aside from just telling people that that's a resource. And by the way, we also have a, uh, a portal on the website that's a, a collection. We update it all the time of any media that we know about that is about the Greek American experience. So books, articles, movies, podcast, I'll put, I'm going to put this podcast on there because now that, now that it's on my radar. So there's so many resources out there um, to be, because we, it's again about cultivating this space, this welcoming space. So. Yeah. And it's so amazing for sharing that because I, I had no idea it existed. I, 
opened up a browser. I was like, oh, yeah. I'm going to join that, you know? Um, <laughs> awesome. But these professional organizations, you're right, are places where resources can completely support what you maybe That's want true. to do or can help to guide you, you know? Um, as a nurse, like I rely on professional organizations all the time to support my work. Um, so it's amazing to see that there's one that exists for the space that we're talking yeah. in, because I mean, how great is that? All the resources and, and vetted resources, right? We've talked Absolutely. countless times on this podcast about Google and YouTube. And yes, it's a, that's a place to start. But if you are reviewing literature that is not where you should be ending right so <laughs> yes um, and i say literature in the in the greatest um sense of things but of course of course oh that's, um, that's awesome yeah and i have another resource actually and i can the the website is too long and complicated for me to say it um on the on the air mm -hmm. but perhaps i'll send you the link and you can um you can put it on the website when you when you post yeah. this episode when you're done editing it um so absolutely so I did my PhD um, at Harvard University, and I was working. I did a, and then I did a postdoctoral um, research appointment there, working in the Milman Perry collection of oral literature, which is this old um, collection of you know recordings and transcriptions and studies on different you know folk song traditions from all over the world. But my major project was um, we we discovered and. Um, and digitized and cataloged the entire collection of field recordings made all over Greece and Cyprus by um, James Notopoulos, who was a classic, he was a home, Homeric scholar. Um, he was born in Altoona, Pennsylvania. His parents were from uh, somewhere in the Peloponnese. Um, and then he, he moved back there when he was a little kid and then he came back to the US. But he uh, did this massive study in 1952 and 1953. Um, he made something like 200 hours of reel-to-reel -reel tape recordings all over the country of all kinds of different traditional music and singing and made a bunch of amazing color films. They're silent, unfortunately, but of people dancing mm -hmm. and playing and doing all kinds of things, things like threshing, you know, threshing grain with like the old fashioned, mm -hmm. the donkey with the big millstone and this kind of stuff. Amazing. But so my project was I, Digit, I, we got the funding to get it all digitized and edited and cataloged. And so the, the website went online about a month ago okay. and all of the recordings are available for live. You know, you can listen to them free of charge. I, um, we didn't have the time or resources to chop them mm -hmm. up into like songs or into, so it's just all the, you know, there's something like 163 tapes, right? And they're all, they're all there. You just listen to, they're all about 45 minutes long. Um, so it's a lot of stuff. It's not 200 hours. It's maybe 120 hours. Um, but uh, it's all there. And I made a big spreadsheet identifying what I could. But there's a lot of stuff mm -hmm. that I wasn't able to, that I still don't know. I mean, I'm getting emails every day from people who've seen it who are like, oh, by the way, I noticed you didn't fill in the stuff about Pont Pontian music because it, I don't really know anything about it. And, you know. mm -hmm. and so, oh, by the way, you know, this tape, here are... I can tell you exactly what the names of these songs are and what the dances are. And, oh, my God, that's somebody from my village who's singing. I recognize their voice. You know, I had countless experiences um, like that when I was doing my when I've been going back to, to Crete and doing fieldwork there because he Notopolis visited and made recordings in many of the villages that I frequently visit where I have friends. And I was able to hand literally hand like little zip drives to people mm -hmm. and say, look, on this on this little drive, there are 
photo, color photos and recordings, hours of recordings of your grandfather and his parea singing in 1953, in May of 1953, you know? Um, so this, yeah, this resource is out there. So y'all who are listening, um, if you look, we'll have a link, I guess, on, mm -hmm. the, on the website if possible. Um, but if you also yeah, want absolutely. to Google it, it's um, the Notopoulos, N-O-T-O-P-O-U-L-O-S, the Notopoulos Collection of Modern Greek Ballads and Songs. And you'll find it if you Google it, but we'll have a link as well. Mm -hmm. um, it's an amazing resource. And like I said, you can download that spreadsheet. And if anybody listening to this notices, um, has information about anything that I didn't put in there, or if you notice any mistakes that I've made, um, I've already found many. <laughs> <laughs> um, please drop me a line and let me know my email is there on the website um, so you can so I mean these are the oh, kind of th these are the kind of things that I'm trying to do um, yeah and as and as yeah and as director of the Center for Music of the Americas at FSU um, we do educational programming we do put on concerts we do online stuff um, my mission is very broad it's music of the Americas like basically from the southern tip of South America to the Ar Arctic Circle um, but I I am planning, hopefully, fingers crossed, I am planning to do something about Greek American music and dance in the mm -hmm. um, in the spring, if not this spring, then maybe the following spring, around the time that HDF happens, because mm -hmm. there'll be so many people coming down to this part of the world yeah. um, that I think I could, we could put together a really cool event here at FSU, even. I'm just like dreaming aloud right now, yeah. but you know. <laughs> Just to to show yeah. our community what we're doing, yeah, you know, and to, awesome. and to and when I say our community, I don't just mean the Greek American community or the art Orthodox community or whatever. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean the people we live around. Mm -hmm. Like, there's this amazing thing happening in Greek mm -hmm. America right now around these yeah. traditional art forms, and um, so that's a so. It, I mean, I guess just to summarize that line of thought, um, I've I've found myself in a position because of my chosen profession and just the circumstances that I'm in, um, where I can, I can take that energy and that awareness, that consciousness of that magic, you know, that we, that we've been talking about and, um, try to, try to do, try to let it guide me towards doing other work, you know, mm -hmm. that, 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 that amplifies and uplifts and yeah, that amplifies what, the, mm -hmm. the stuff because it's gorgeous mm -hmm. and beautiful and i you know i know for a fact i mean we all know plenty of people who are not of greek heritage who love this stuff just as much as we do you know mm -hmm. it's not something that's exclude it's you know dna has nothing to do with it exactly um, exactly so I, I try to let that guide me too you know when we talk about creating these open these welcoming participatory spaces. It's for everybody who, who wants to engage with it, who wants to put mm -hmm. in the time and effort to learn how to engage with it in, in a way that is mutually productive. Mm -hmm. so. And it's such a beautiful thing to see somebody engage with it, especially somebody who was sort of not forced into it by yeah. default of being a kid in Sunday school and going to church right. and all this kind of stuff, right? Um, it's just like I'm thinking about people Evan and I know even from upstate New York who were in like the folk dance community and yeah. they just I mean they would just come to our lessons because they just loved it you know it was like such a, a 
uh, joy for them. And sometimes you don't see that with the people who are, are born into it, you know? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I've often thought I would love to. So here's a dirty little secret. hanging on purpose. Be sure to check out part two of Patty's interview for more.